Welcome to episode 47 of Dealer Process Secrets Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Cheatham, here with my co-host, Sterling Brown and Brian Steele. And today, can I be a guest on my own show today, guys? Hey, that sounds good to me. I like the change. It's my show, right? I could be a guest on my own show. You're all. So today I'm going to be a guest on this show and I'm going to let uh, Sterling and Brian kick it off. All right. Well, you heard Phil. He's, he's let us know that it's episode 47. Uh, we're mixing it up a little bit, keeping things interesting. And I'm going to turn it over. This is Sterling speaking to Brian because he brought up the topic. And um, I know him and I both have some stuff to say. And Phil will add where necessary. Brian, do you want to go ahead and introduce the topic? Yeah. So what we're talking about today is, you know, inventory management, um, trying to stay ahead of, you know, whatever changes are coming in the market, trying to, you know, mitigate risk of inventory dropping when uh, some of the, you know, new car inventory, the chip shortage uh, ends, you know, where do we think the market's going and how, you know, how fast do we think that the market's going to correct and how fast, um, you know, when will cars, because we know ultimately supply and demand is going to shift again. And hopefully we don't go back to, you know, just the giveaway clothes like we did in the past. Hopefully we've learned a little something and we can keep our margins a little better. But, you know, where is the market heading and, you know, what do we need to pre- uh, prepare for to try and uh, be the smartest we can with our new car inventory or our used car inventory? I think that's a great question, Brian. And um, what better place to start than the beginning? Do, so, what, do, do. Oh, my bad. You're good. Uh, what's the cause of um, what's the cause of this? You, I think you mentioned it. Uh, in my opinion, it's the chip shortage. But um, let's go ahead and let's start at the beginning. What is the cause of this topic that we're talking about? Supply and demand, right? Like having having too many new cars, and you know they're giving away the new cars again. And that was the old know, problem, right? Right. Okay. And so what's the new problem? I don't know. You lost me. The new problem is we don't have enough new cars, right? Right. Okay. So this is me talking, uh, my opinion, right? This whole thing where used car prices are higher where they've ever been, right? They're uh, on a Fox Business article I read. um, They're 27% higher right now than they were this time last year. And the article was talking about a 1% reduction in used car prices from the previous month. So the article was speculating, hopefully, that the used car market is in a correction phase, but they admitted they don't know. Now, in my opinion, I don't think we're in a correction phase. The reason being, just like you referenced, supply and demand. The supply of new cars is lower than it's ever been. This is pretty consistent across every manufacturer from what I've seen and heard. Um, the day supply of vehicles. And if you don't know what that is, you can do a little bit of research, but the day supply has gone down significantly. And I'm talking about a multiple of 10 to 30 times less than what it normally is. So there's always going to be a reaction where there's a cause, there's a a reaction to that cause. So uh, because we have a fewer number of new vehicles, the used vehicle prices have increased. So Um, What that means in the long term is there needs to be something that causes those used car prices to fall back in line. 
Um, with new car supply still being low, it doesn't seem like that's anytime soon. Um, everything I've heard from a lot of the more popular vehicles, um, Phil and I have a friend who works at Cadillac. He's confirmed there's no Escalades, most likely through the end of the year. Um, and calling a couple other dealerships, uh, one of the dealer trades and whatnot, I know that some of these other Highline vehicles are very hard to find as well. Phil, you have something to say? Yeah, I'm going to jump in here. Um, so I think uh, we are way too concerned with the immediate. I think this, uh, this, this goes along with everything in the news, everything in, uh, well, I don't want to say the news because then people think I'm talking about politics, but the way that it, it, it wouldn't matter if it was politics or which side, because the way that everything is crafted is about the now. And the now is immediate and is definitely going to change. And what you need to do in the now isn't as important as how prepared you need to be for the next thing in the future and really weathering all of the nows because the nows flip, they flop, uh, what it is now, it's going to be the opposite of that tomorrow. And nobody knows when tomorrow's coming. Right. So the, um, you know, the immediate that we want to focus on it, it really, if you focus on the now too hard, you miss out that things take a long time to turn and things take a long time to uh, actualize, I think is the word, right? So things take a long time to materialize. Uh, there's a ton of different analogies, a ton of different quotes here, but really where you're at in your life, this is probably the best one, uh, uh, that's for this podcast and for people listening, where you at in your life is actually based off of your actions from six months ago, usually. So your problems in your life and the good things in your life. So if it's extraordinarily goodly good, or if it's extraordinarily bad, it really is based off of what you were doing six months ago, not today. So what you're doing today if you're working extremely hard, but what you were doing six months ago is bad, your life may look bad, but as long as you start to work hard and, and produce, then in six months from now, your life is going to look good. And in six months from now, you may decide to go start partying and everything and your life may look good, but you're not preparing for the next six months. Translating that to the economy, if I didn't lose everybody listening, but going into the economy we could have a very different style turn down than what people are expecting. You could have certain assets collapse and you could have other assets unaffected. Uh, this is a lot different than 2008. So, and I, and I like to go now to the, you know, relating it to your personal life and now going to the macro economy. So way past just looking at dealerships in 2008, there wasn't, as much money as was just printed. And yes, is that going to cause inflation, et cetera, et cetera? Who knows, right? At the end of the day, the simple answer is yes, it will cause a lot of inflation, but 
this is so complex at this point with our financial system that there's no way to pinpoint a time. There's really no way to calculate how much. And no matter what you're reading, it's probably going to be wrong. And it's not going to be completely accurate. So now we have all of this money uh, to get into something a little bit more micro, but to relate to my final point is you've got uh, basically what people getting paid. Now, once again, doesn't matter to get into the politics of it. I'm just going to get into the business decisions, but you've got people getting paid 17, $18 an hour that were getting paid what 10, 11, $12 an hour. I'm going to relate this to something. So, um, a lot of businesses are actually like, Oh, I can't pay these people. Right. So they're closing down. Have you guys heard of this? Like actually yeah. I heard of a waffle house closing down because they can't get labor. There's a lot of like little places closing down because they can't get labor. That is the exact opposite of the right reaction in the now. Right. So if we're talking about the now, the right reaction to this is pay them 20, pay them the 17. And it does, your politics here don't matter. It's the right business. I'm talking about the right business move. And then step two is raise your prices. You guys hearing me? Step two is raise your prices. And this is where, obviously, we already have inflation, because if I'm operating a business and I've got a franchise that's a Waffle House, let's say, that's the one that I heard actually decided to close down. I've got to decide to pay these people now and I've got to decide to raise the prices accordingly on my menu now. Now, this is totally different from 2008 because in 2008, you needed to lower your prices. And that's what most people did too late and they got very hurt. In 2008, you needed to lower your prices. You needed to be okay with less profit. So in your introduction, Brian, when you're talking about holding gross, well, that all depends on exactly what we know it depends on because this has been time-tested and proven. In the areas where the dealerships get together and decide to hold gross, they hold gross. In the areas where the dealerships decide to cut each other's throats, they go all the way to the bottom. And there's different market examples of that, uh, maybe because we have, we have a few cities that are so giant and they're all throat cutters. Uh, there's not an exact thing to uh, have an example of, but the Midwest does a much better job than, let's say, L.A. and New York before all this, before the now and what we're talking about right now. So going into the real estate market. In the real estate market, I personally think there's been a giant shift in city versus rural. In our entire lives, for us and our parents, and maybe even our grandparents, or probably our grandparents, rural property has been going down and city has been going up. This is pre-COVID. This is pre-virus scenario. This is pre-all of that stuff is when I will tell you, it, I believe it started happening. Now, if we go out to 2030, it's going to be something that we knew. Oh, well, rural went up and city went down because of viruses. Maybe they'll say, 
really the two words that it's focused around is remote work. Right. So you've got software developers, you've got all these different people that are living in these areas like Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, Houston, paying astronomically inflated prices for their real estate because it's been going up and up and up and up and up. And areas like that in 2008 didn't take a 50% hit. They took a 15, they took a 20% hit. And they went back up and kept going, inflated. The areas uh, that were more rural took a 50% hit and they never even returned to the 2008 levels. So when this thing falls out, because you've got people with very high paying jobs in these cities, looking at places outside of Atlanta, looking at places outside of Austin and Houston, Texas, looking at places outside of Boise. And they're like, my goodness, I can trade in my 1200 square foot box. Right. And I can get a tennis court and a swimming pool and a big house, four or five bedrooms. So that was taking place because these cities were losing populations in 2017, way before this virus. So when you, if you're going all the way out to 2030 and looking back, this, see, this is something you can predict. You just can't put times on it unless the times are elongated. Because here's the thing. If we do see a downturn, you're going to watch all of the property crash all of the stocks crash. It's the old term, baby with the bathwater. Everything gets thrown out temporarily. So everything is going to get sold off at once. Now, some of it will be resilient and some of it will keep going down, depending on what the assets we're discussing are. So when you're looking at what you have right now, you've got to look at it as a blessing. And you've also got to look at it as a blessing on the other end of it. So right now it's, I have, I have no cars to sell. Okay. Well, when you're thinking long-term, it's easier to solve the immediate problems than act as if this is what's going to be here to stay or to prepare for something that hasn't happened yet. So you want to go with what's happening right now, but you also want to be set up to be the type of person that's going to adapt. That's going to, that's going to be resilient when things change. We just don't know when they're going to change. But back to the real estate market for a minute. So the stuff that you could buy now that you'll be all right in, you might be flipped in at a certain point if we have a downturn, right? There's other stuff you could buy right now that you'll probably do very poorly in. So it depends where it is. You've got, it just makes a lot more sense that for the first time in not only our generation, but the generation before us and the generation before them, so our grandparents' generation, rural is going to go up and the city is going to go down because cities were congregations of commerce. They were congregations of business. So when you've got this remote work possibility, and it's not a possibility anymore, and even pre the virus, people were working remotely. It doesn't make sense. I can hire from the talent pool of the entire country, or if I need to congregate people into an office setting, I've got to hire from the, the, the talent pool of that specific geographic area. So I'm going to be 
doing, no matter what business I am, more and more and more and more remote work. So what that means is people are going to buy stuff for cheaper and they're going to become more self-sufficient again is what I, is what I see happening long term. I'm not talking tomorrow or the next day or a year from now or a year and a half from now. When you speak in these terms of six months, a year from now, a year and a half from now, it's very short-sighted. Anytime you're like a planning, knee-jerk reaction. Yes. Anytime you're planning for terms in that small amount of time, you're going to miss what happens during that time. Funny enough, it's, it's almost ironic because if you're planning for 10 years out and you're thinking, what's this look like in 10 years, then you're going to position yourself to weather the storm and ride the wave, right? You're going to, you're going to to be ready to adapt to the small term now is better than when you're dead set focused on what do I do right now? If that makes right. sense. But these, these dealerships have like flooring lines. They have flooring Real quick, did I do, they have, there was a, there was a finalization to that. Did I do a good, cause I'm, I'm basically trying to go macro personal explain it because it's all the same thing. If you're thinking long-term, if you're thinking 10 years out and not right now, you're actually going to handle the now better because you know you're going to take your losses here and there and you know you're going to have your wins here and there right now and in a downturn i'm going to look at it as a blessing when i'm doing that because it, and it's the opposite of that person that goes we have no cars and then when there's all the cars that same person we already know is going to go oh we have too many cars right we can't sell any cars now right now the demand is low so, so it's, it's, you're focusing on the negative of the now versus having a plan for 10 years. You already know that you're going to have to deal with these negatives, but you know that they're much shorter term gains and losses. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. No, I, I agree with what you're Brian, saying. It's- Brian, can you sign here an initial here? <laughs> That's your payment. Nice. <laughs> but you know uh, the hard thing is is there's car business is kind of unique but they, because there's like outside forces kind of dictating what these dealers have to do and yes i do believe in a 10-year plan and i and i do believe in looking towards the future um but when you've got you know like a hard 60-day turn or you've got a flooring company that's telling you you got to pay it off in 90 days um cash constraints get in there and and, uh, you know, the, the thing that I feel like dealers need to do right now is, you know, don't get, don't get spooked. Like I've watched, I've watched book values come down 1800 bucks or appraisal guides come down 1800 bucks in, in a week on a vehicle. But I just had a guy in the showroom that, uh, he bought a truck six months ago and it's, it's 15 grand more than what he paid for it. So yes. Is a little bit of correction coming, yeah. But I think the way that you, the way that you kind wait, of prepare wait, for it is wait, the guy that bought the truck back in January and now he could sell it back to you, and you probably give him more money. Is is that the story you're telling? Yeah, yeah, I've I've heard about that. That's, but see, this is incredible stuff that happens in the short term. Is it fun to talk about? Is it fun to? Uh, look at and hear these different stories. Absolutely. If you look 
much longer term and you look into, you know, creating your culture, obviously having your financial set up to weather the storm. So if you're getting a ton of money now, my biggest question would be, where do I invest my money? Yeah, build, build up those coffers, build that war chest. Well, no, I wouldn't even, no, I, I think you actually, there's a, there's a piece of it you want to, you want to spend. There's a piece of it you want to throw back for sure. You want to find it in, in a situation like this, because we don't know when we've discussed this off air, just about the economy. We don't know. We could be. And, you know, I'm going to say this. And then when it doesn't happen, because I don't think this. And then even though I'm going to say this, people are going to go, you said you thought it was the roaring 20s again. No, I, I actually personally think uh, we're, we've got to see at some point, we've got to see some sort of pullback, some sort of crash, honestly, uh, and a total reversal of everything that's happening right now. That's what I actually believe, but I could be wrong. So this is the right way to say it. This could be the next roaring 20s. I mean, look at all the money they just printed. Right. So, but so that, that, I think, that, I think that money takes a while uh, to move. But what I think is a little bit different, and a lot of economists have been talking about this, is more American families have more reserves than they've had in a long time. And in the roaring 20s, everybody was like buying things on margin, betting the, the farm because it looked like it was, you know, never going to change. And had, you know, no reserves. Yeah. <laughs> so you definitely don't want to do that. Um, I, I think that's where everyone got blindsided in 2008. And I think that's allowed people to have a little bit bigger uh, war chests and have a little bit more, more uh, money in the coffer, as you say. So, um, but you don't want to, you do. So it's like chess, man. Every move you make has got to be offensive and defensive at the same time. That's a, that is a, just a, an amazing rule. When you get too defensive, you get crushed. If you get too offensive and you're not looking behind you, you get crushed. So every single move you make has got to be defensive and offensive at the same time. So, when you're looking at this and you're used to doing last year, let's say you did, you know, $400,000 in gross in, in, in your, in your uh, sales department. And then this year you're doing 750, almost double, or maybe you're doing double, right? Uh, when you're doing that, it's not, I wouldn't sit on all the money and I wouldn't spend all the money. There's a combination there of what, am I going to invest in? And that's not going to be the same answer. Uh, I don't, I would love to have the answer and give it out. Right. Or, or, or say that I have an answer. That's not going to be the same answer depending on your brand, your market, your customer. I mean, just the whole, the whole gamut of things and where you're at is the biggest thing. So where were you at before this and where are you at now? Uh, so that's going to differentiate, differentiate a lot of what you're going to do with that money. But you know, if you're if you're a store that's not used to having this much money, and you're, uh, you know, for a long time you've been waiting to do X, Y, Z. I mean, I think you should do it. Does that mean spend all the money? No, but you you definitely don't want to sit there playing defense because what's going to happen when this thing flips is 
you're going to have a lot of money to weather an ugly storm for a certain period of time, but you didn't change a thing. Yeah, but what 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 is the ugly storm? And I, yeah, Sterling, go ahead. Do you see what I'm saying though? Like, yeah, but I'm I'm agreeing with you. Invest in yourself. It seems is what you're saying. Is that correct? Well, what I'm saying is, so if let's say a year ago, because I I I try to be broad, and at the same time, then you have to make a whole bunch of uh, uh, you know asterisks. So. If a year ago, let's go with an average store. So a year ago, um, you were doing, uh, you know, let's say 110 cars a month and you were averaging like, you know, slightly over invoice. Let's just keep it pretty broad. And now you're selling everything at sticker and your biggest problem is you can't get enough cars. Uh, You've done some cool things and you figured out a way to get more cars. You've gotten resourceful. Uh, you got, <clears throat> you know, you're getting used car inventory, um, and you're you're actually doing a good job of uh, adjusting and adapting to the current situation. So now uh, you've, you're selling 150 cars more than you've ever sold for the past few months, and you're selling them all at sticker, you know, or 500 off a sticker, basically. Uh, so we can go into percentage of deals; it just varies so much across brands. So. Um, you're selling them close to stickers. So you're, you're making a ton of money. Your guys are making a ton of money. Um, and you've been doing good and, but you know, you're looking forward. I would, I would look back to who was I before this all happened, right? What were my biggest issues in my store? Because those are foggy right now. You can't see them right now. If that's your story and I'm going with an average story. So I would go back to, cause you're work, you're probably working with close to the same team that you had, unless you had something happen at your dealership. So you probably got the same people. Everyone's just making more money. So I would look back to the problems I had before, compare that to today. And I would start fixing problems in reverse that I know that I had when it wasn't like it is right now with that extra yeah. profit, That's- profit. Profit hides a multitude of sins, right? Like exactly. You said that before, which is beautiful. So that's what I would do because that's going to allow me when we go either back to the place that we were in, or we go back into a worse place. At least I'm going to through this. I came out the other side stronger. That would be that would be like that's your goal that you're going to base everything around of how you look at things and how you how you do things and how you make decisions. Yeah. So like if, if there is a big scary thing coming, what is it? You know, like in 2001 for part two of this show, I think. Okay. Like in 2001, we had like crazy leasing and we came out of it in like 2004, 2005, we had a lot of people upside down and now, you know, now the cars are way better because back then it was like designed obsolescence. And now the cars are way better. People are keeping them way longer, but we're going these, you know, extended terms. And we'll talk off air about how we wrap this up and bring you a great second show, a part two to this. What are we going to call this, Brian? I don't know. Look into the future, uh, you know, strategizing for the new economy. A look into the future, part one. We got to get part one in there. That's all I got. Yeah. All right. Look into the future, part one. See you all back for part two. Thank you for listening. 
Have a great night. Have a great night. Thank you. Thanks, Phil.